Praise God. Thank you, Brother Lawson. You may be seated. I'm sorry that he took so much of your time where I could be teaching, but I got good news for you. Uh, I have a time limit. Uh, my youngest granddaughter has a birthday party at 2, so I can promise you I will be done by then. Uh, we are thankful that you have been here with us and uh, appreciate all the ministry, Brother Easter, Brother Hale. Uh, I, I love being a part of Jesus. I love being a part of what he's doing. It never ceases to amaze me how that in the world they can work so hard to put something together that fits together and they, they, they struggle over it and they work with it and they try to, try to make stuff fit and flow. And uh, when the Lord's in charge, he does all that and we don't even converse about it. So uh, I'll say to you and Brother Hale, Part two. Serious. Uh, the Lord didn't give me this while he was speaking. Uh, I had direction to do this some weeks ago. And uh, the Lord had put it up. He's put it all together. And that's a wonderful thing. I'm going to start with one verse and I'll just let you put it on the screen for me. First, uh, our Galatians. Chapter 5, verse 16. Now, I'm a, I'm a concept guy. I love concept. Uh, if you want to have conception, you need a seed. And spiritual conception, the seed is concept. The root of conception is concept. And so I love concept. Because concept is seed. Seed doesn't do you any good till you apply it. You've probably heard the story, and I've told it several times. I don't even remember where I read it, but several years ago, they opened up a, a t tomb of one of the Egyptian's pharaohs, and there was a sealed jar of wheat seed that had been put inside that pharaoh's tomb and it was estimated at that time to be about 3,000 years old. But the, uh, the container had been sealed. And then it also had been sealed inside this tomb, which is, was totally dry. There was no moisture in the tomb at all. And so someone got the idea. I wonder if we planted any of these seeds, if they'd grow. And guess what? Seeds that have been sitting dormant for 3,000 years when they were put in the ground grew just as well as those seeds that had just been reaped from a harvest field. That's what concepts are. But seeds have to be sown if you want a result. And, and I, Brother Hale... What you talked about today, the Lord's been dealing with me. And, and, and it's, it's something I have focused on a lot 
and really felt like this was, uh, uh, you know, I feel sorry for the people whose preachers are preaching stuff they got out of books. I don't have to read books to get stuff to preach. Why? Because I just preached the answers I had to have so I could make it. I didn't get this stuff from somebody else's experience. These were things I had to desperately seek for just for my own salvation's sake. And I just share that stuff. Uh, you know, I'm a debtor. <laughs> the Lord was merciful enough to give me these answers for me. And uh, I, it, that's where I get what I preach. It's my the answers I had to have, sought, waited on God till I got answers for me, for me. Uh, I, I, my last name is Wright. My dad was, uh, one of 12 children. The oldest one, Thomas died after just a couple of, uh, years as a small child, but the other 11 lived. They were raised on a farm in a little town called Jay. It only had a blinking yellow light. It didn't even have a stop light about an hour north of Pensacola, Florida. They were born and raised on a 40-acre farm that was only able to produce enough just for these, this family to survive. Every single one of those kids uh, achieved things naturally speaking. Many of them have two and three and four college degrees and whatever. They were really poor uh, at the expense of being gross, but this is men. Uh, if you have never uh, used the pages out of a Sears catalog for your toilet tissue in an outhouse, then you don't know what poor is. But I'll tell you something worse than that. They would let the corn cob, the corn, dry out. And then they'd put it in this grinder and, and it would pop the seeds off, but they didn't throw the cobs away. There was a bucket of cobs in the outhouse. And when you ran out of paper, that's what you wiped with. Okay, and yet that group of people, my uncles and aunts, are some of the proudest people I know. Just pride, full of pride. I think there's a generational spirit of pride in my family. Many more times than you could possibly imagine. I'd have a thoughts go th thought go through my mind and and have to stop and say, Lord, that's nothing but pride. That's just pride. God have mercy on me. 
this verse. I can't tell you how much this verse has helped me. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not have the lust in your flesh. Y'all can't read? Oh, you thought I was so old. I was reading it wrong. No, it does not say, walk in the Spirit and you shall not have lust in your flesh. It does say, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And anybody that tells you they don't have any kind of lust in their flesh, their picture is in the dictionary next to the word pride and self-deception. Because you talk about somebody, it would be bad enough that they think I would believe that, but the worst part is I fear they believe it. This is, uh, you know, this is, I, I, I was raised in Pentecost, raised in the United Pentecostal Church, 67 years now. And all my life, growing up, the solution to all problems was try harder and pray more. Now, the praying part, I have no no problem with. But I can't find trying harder in the Word. Try harder. Pray more. Try harder. No. No. <laughs> The most spiritual day of your life will be the, is the day when you're so frustrated with yourself at not being able to do what you need to do that you finally are ready to quit. Just give up. The only issue is you have to make a choice who you're going to give up on. You or Jesus. Unfortunately, some people give up on Jesus. But the Lord is so desperate for you and I to get to this place. He is willing to risk losing you. Because he knows you can't go forward. Truly go forward. Till you come to the end of you. I'm a teacher. I have no doubt there are people here today that will have heard some or maybe all of what I'm about to talk about. I don't apologize for that. Essence of teaching is repetition. I don't know about you. I talk about this stuff all the time, and I don't have it anywhere close to down yet. In fact, one of my prayers is this, Lord, I get so tired of telling everybody else all this stuff, and I can't seem to do it myself.
So I'm, I'm not sharing the ex, I'm not sharing this to you as the experts got it all figured out. These are answers that God's given me so I can somehow try to make it. But even after you get an answer, that doesn't mean you're able to apply the answer perfectly. Now, if, now if you know how to do that, please come take the mic. I'd be happy to listen. I mean, I'm serious. If you know how to do that, if you know how to get an answer and apply it perfectly and that fixes the problem for you, please come take the mic and tell, tell us how to do that because I don't know how to do that. It never ceases to be a struggle. I have come to the conclusion no, I haven't. That's the wrong way of putting it. Brother Hale, you're so right last night. We are so uncomfortable. We've gotten to the place. We're so uncomfortable saying the Lord said. But the problem is when when what you're saying is because the Lord said it to you, if you say it in a way that it doesn't give him credit, Because you don't want somebody to think that you're super spiritual. But when you say it so that you get, it seems like you're, you maybe you don't intend to, but it sounds like you're giving yourself the credit. I figured this out. I came to the conclusion. <clears throat> I think I'd rather deal with your uh, negative opinions that I'm saying the Lord said rather than him being upset with me because I took credit for what he said. Some of the greatest things God God has ever given me is when I'm ministering to somebody else and he's talking and I'm saying things to them I don't even know what I'm talking about. It's coming and I th- what I'm about to tell you this is exactly how I got it. We were at the church anniversary and I was ministering <laughs> to brother Sistrunk Jr. Darren. And this came I never talked about this before. I never thought of it exactly like this. And it was just there. And I said it and I said, yeah, I need to go take some notes on that. That's good stuff. I've come to the understanding that true spirituality is measured by the difference in your perception between the vessel and the treasure. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And if you can't see the difference between you and the treasure, you're carnal. If you can't see the difference between when it's you doing something and when it's God doing it, You're carnal. And the greater the awareness of the perception of the difference, it's not that you get more, your your, your flesh gets worse. It's just that your awareness of its fault, flaws, and weaknesses, and shortcomings become more acute. And as you're doing that, you see that all this good stuff that's done, if there's anything good done, said, 
through your life, any kind attitude, any kind word, any positive thing that comes out of you, it's not the vessel. It's the treasure. Any day I get up and pray rather than do my own thing, the credit has to go to the treasure. The vessel can't take the credit. Any word of God I obey rather than disobey, the credit, therefore the glory, the thanks has to go to the treasure, not the vessel. That's why when we get to heaven and we get that crown of righteousness that we've been promised, we're going to fall before the the feet of the one on the throne. And we're going to cast that crown at his feet because we will know we did not get ourselves there. If the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the sinner and ungodly appear? I'm not trying to be negative. I'm trying to help you here. You know the difference between a hypocrite and a spiritual person? There's only one difference. Seriously. The people that aren't spiritual and aren't hypocrites, they got problems. The hypocrites have got it figured out in every area but one. I'm I'm not out of my mind. I'm serious. The hypocrite and the spiritual person both act the way they're supposed to act. But the hypocrite does it behind a covering of his own making and the spiritual person does it behind a covering of the Lord's making. (laughs) For as many as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Maybe you're too old that you can't remember doing this. But I remember one Christmas I got twin holster, Fanner, Mattel, Fanner 50s. Now, if you don't know what a Fanner 50 is, you are deprived. The hammer was made a little bit wider and it had the, and the caps were special that went in that fanner 50, that rotating cylinder. And you could fan that thing and shoot it just like whoever it was. I don't even remember who it was, but some guy, it was a fanner 50. I had two of them and I had a pair of cowboy boots and I had a cowboy hat. And let me tell you something. When I put those Twin holstered Fanner 50s on with my cowboy hat and cowboy boots. I, you say it was a broomstick. It wasn't. It was a horse. And I was a cowboy. Because the Savior created me to be able to act like what I put on. was created to act like what I put on.
So you give a kid a, a helmet, a set of shoulder pads, and a jersey. He's Peyton Manning or Tom Brady or what's that guy in Baltimore's name? That's who he is, see? He is that. For that moment of time, while he's wearing that, that helmet, no shoulder pads, he is whoever he sees himself to be because of what he's put on. And as many as you have been baptized into Christ have, have put on Christ. You know why we're struggling in our walk with God? Because we've taken him off. Because we put him on when we got baptized, but we didn't realize what took place. And so we put, put, we took him off. And guess what the Bible says? Even though I, I put on Christ when I was water baptized, we find Paul in Ephesians telling the church to put on Christ. Well, the only reason they have to put on Christ, if they had, if they put him on when they were baptized, and now he's telling the believers to put, put on Christ, it's because somewhere they lost faith of what they, who they had on, and they need to put him back on. You see, that's our problem. We commit sin. Now, I realize I'm the only person in this room that ever does that. But I spent years not understanding this. And, and, and I'd do something wrong. And even though I'd repent, I, I had to mope around and beat myself up and punish myself because I sinned. And I thought it would be wrong of me to repent and then get up and act like I hadn't done anything wrong. I thought that would be wrong. But what it really proved was I didn't believe he had forgiven me or I wasn't letting him forgive me or I hadn't forgiven myself. I've asked God to forgive me and poor old God, if I ask him, he has to do it. But I'm better than God. I don't think I deserve to be forgiven quite yet. So I'm not forgiving myself. So how do we act? We say we're forgiven. Well, we come to church and act like we're not. And we get up in the morning. We can't pray because we don't deserve to pray because we're not worthy to pray because, you know, we, we, we sinned yesterday or the day before or a week ago or whatever it was. See, the hypocrite understands this part. Put Isaiah 30 verse 1 on the screen, please. Here's the book. Ready? Well, in a moment. <laughs> Woe to the rebellious children, saith the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit. You see, the hypocrite has covered themselves with a covering. But it is self-righteousness, not the robe of Christ's righteousness. They have covered themselves, and the word hypocrite in the Greek actually comes from the Greek word, I, I, I pronounce it hypocrite, which is the name 
for the Greek, the masks that were used by actors in the Greek theater. And one person could play several different parts simply by picking up a mask and speaking in a, in a voice that they, that they had determined that, that character talks like. And then they could put that one down and pick it. So they act like whatever mask they're hiding behind. This is what the Lord called hypocrisy. But it's hypocrisy not because they've got the wrong principle, but because they've got the wrong covering. I have said this so many times over the last year or two, especially. There's only one basis, one basis. Thank you, for Brother Easter, for what you talked about this morning. But I'm going to add to that in just a moment. Okay? I want to give the other side of that story. The, the basis, the only foundation, the only way I can hold this microphone is the blood of Jesus. I have absolutely no other worthiness. To hold this microphone. None. There, there is not, no other basis that gives me the right to stand here and tell, say anything to you. I can, I, you know, the, uh, in the world there are people that are experts and they know their stuff and their field. And you sit and listen to them because they know how to do it and you don't know how to do it. So you, you sit there and try to learn from the expert. But men of God are not experts. They're not supposed to be experts. They're not supposed to be viewed as experts. If God wanted experts to preach to you, he would use real angels, not just human messengers. But woe be to us if our pastors were truly spirit beings who, who can't forgive. And can't be forgiven. You ever have the devil beat you up because of your flaws? I, I, I got a little something I do with him. When he especially gets on my nerves with that. I'm serious, I do this. Whatever you think about it, I, not my problem. I do it, I like it. He doesn't. He's beating me up while well, you did this and you did that and you're a mess and you're blah, blah, blah. Yeah, all everything you say is true. It's all true. But let me say this to you. You made one mistake. It's over for you. And you're going to burn in hell forever for one mistake. And how do you feel about the fact that I'm going to go to heaven and be a part of the group that replaces you forever with all of my flaws and failures and mistakes? How do you feel about that? Because I think that's pretty awesome. So when you tell me how bad I am, guess what? You're only pointing out the fact you couldn't be forgiven. You weren't given that opportunity. So if you want to keep talking, I got more to say on that subject. I'm not being facetious. He just kind of shuts up. 
Why wouldn't he? I'm, I'm being serious. Why wouldn't he? I'm not going to go to heaven because I'm doing this perfectly. I'm not, you know what? I used to think that when I got older, I'd get more spiritual and I'd have less problems. I don't know how it's worked for others, but I'll tell you what, it's worked for me. I haven't gotten better by getting older. I've just gotten more and more aware of the bad stuff. That's the truth. Yeah, stuff I used to be able to try to ignore, I can't ignore anymore. It's there. It's there. So if you think you're going to get spiritual, so to, you're going to grow into a spirituality where all your faults and flaws and failures are going to disappear and you're going to be almost angelic before you're raptured. I'd like for you to show me book, chapter, and verse on that because I've looked from cover to cover and I don't find anything like that. Brethren, the reason Paul, well, Paul talked about his struggles. And I've had a few people try to tell me, well, he was talking about in Romans 7 about all his struggles before he got saved. That's a lie. Those are his struggles after he got saved. I've had people tell me, well, if you really loved God and you really wanted to do what God's pleasing to you, what's pleasing to God, you wouldn't be doing this and that and the other. Really? Somebody should have told Paul that because he was messed up. Because he says the stuff I want to do, I don't do. And the stuff I don't want to do, I do. He said, to will is present with me. But how to do that which I will, I don't find. And he got to a quitting point. Oh, wretched man that I am. I need a deliverer because I can't fix this. I can't fix this. I can't fix this. But here's the problem. If I'm focusing on trying not to do what I shouldn't do. And. Listen carefully to this part of it. And I'm focused on trying to do the stuff that the rules say I should do. That's like dieting. I can sit all day long, literally, at a computer. I've done it many, many times. Eight, ten, twelve hours. Not even re- get, in a, get, get in a flow and not even realizing how long I've sit there till I try to get up. And can't move. And look at the clock and say, you haven't even gotten out of this chair in eight hours, ten hours. Don't drink anything. Don't eat anything. Don't even get hungry. Just sit there. Flow. God taking me here and there, writing this stuff down. And Oh, man, it's just awesome. Not even be hungry. But all I have to do is 
Just make the decision at the beginning of the day. I'm fasting today. Oh, if I don't eat something by 9 a.m., I'm, I'm dying. If you don't believe in fasting, don't be married to my wife because she, she, she's never hungry when she gets up. In fact, she almost never eats anything before noon. So that makes her nauseated. Well, you know what? I'm hungry when I get up. And if I ask, she'll fix me something. But most of the time, I just get me a bowl, pour some milk in it, and get out the box of cereal. I haven't done it yet, but one of these days, I'm going to get a whole bowl of sugar pops and crush them down to see how much volume there really is in a whole bowl full of sugar pops. A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting there eating these sugar pops. I ate a whole bowl full. And I'm thinking to myself, is this a dream? Have I been really eating? Because my stomach doesn't register anything has been put in it. So I pulled it, poured another whole bowl full and ate that. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Another whole bowl full. I ate a whole box of them and I still felt hungry. I'm going, this is, this, thank God for the milk. It filled up a little bit of volume. And so when I'm trying to lose weight, I, I've learned to eat fruit in the morning because it does fill you up and it does help your appetite. But as much as I love fruit, I lose the taste for it when I'm not dieting. I really do. Love fruit. But if I'm, if I'm not dieting, <clears throat> or a better word is disciplining, I don't want that. I want those three bowls of sugar pops. It's the same thing with honeycombs. There's nothing but air in that. That's all it is. I was doing Weight Watchers and I calculated all that out. And I saw, wait a minute here. Frosted Flakes is two points for this this a cup. But sugar pops and honeycombs are only a point and a half. I'm going, you know what? It took me a little while to go. No wonder it's less points. It may be a cup, but there's not much stuff. Because at least Frosted Flakes, they don't have a lot of air in them. But every one of those flakes is coated with sugar. Ah. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. No, I'm not. You mean my antioxidant medicine? I don't eat chocolate. I eat health food. It's antioxidants. Somebody said that's only dark chocolate. No, no, no. Think of the calcium I'm also getting in the milk chocolate. I get some antioxidants. I get some calcium because it's milk chocolate. Because it was dark chocolate before they milk, mixed milk with it. So it's still somewhere in there. It's still dark chocolate. And when I'm trying to be particularly healthy, I eat chocolate-covered almonds because there's some nuts in there someplace. 
If you like chocolate, if you've never had the malted milk balls from Cracker Barrel, they're big. They're really, they're about that big. They're double-coated with chocolate. Man. I told that one place I was, and there was this guy who was a regional manager for some Cracker Barrels. A week or so later, I got in the mail a whole box of malted milk balls. <laughs> the devil ain't made anything tasted that good. I'm telling you that right now. I refuse to call cho- chocolate cake devil's food cake because he can't make stuff that good. That's going to be at the marriage supper of the lamb and, and the devil can't be there. It's false advertising to call that devil's food. That's good stuff. It's a bad thing to be the last speaker and being the guy, one standing between people in lunch and then talk about food, right? Again, the point is, there's got to be an awareness of the difference between the vessel and the treasure. You know, I, it, it's my wife climbs my case. Somebody says something nice and she says, would you just stand still and be quiet? And if they feel the need to say that, let them do it. No, 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 uh-uh, no, thank you. It, it's, it's not, it's not easy to do that. And the reason it's not easy to do that, Brother Hale, Brother Easter, is because I don't know the guy they're talking about. You want to go to hell? Believe your press clippings. It was my 60th birthday coming up. And I, years, not coming up, I'm talking about seven years ago. And in the beginning, it was a game to figure out the surprises. Till one day I finally got smart and said, duh, you're pretty stupid. People are doing all this effort just to be nice to you, and you've got to ruin all their effort by figuring out the surprise. Why don't you just turn all that sensitivity off and all that brain off and just show up where they say show up and go, ah, when everybody says surprise, right? So I knew, I knew something was, obviously, they were planning something. I got a little bit of whiff that there were a few people that were driving in or flying in for that auspicious occasion. And I'm struggling. I'm saying, Lord, it's bad enough when they take a few minutes in service to, to say all that stuff, but I got to sit a whole evening and listen to this stuff. This is one of his favorite things to say to me. He says, you don't get it. I can't tell you the number of times he said that to me. You don't get it. Well, apparently I don't get it. He said, they're not talking about you. They're talking about me. 
and you can't, you're struggling with it because you know what they're saying is not true about you. He said, you just don't understand how well I've hidden you in me all these years. He said, you go, sit there, let them say what they're going to say, smile and say thank you. But when you say thank you, they're going to think you're saying thank you to them for what they said. But you're going to be saying thank you to me that I've kept your secret. You and I really know what you are. And I've hidden you in me. So let them talk about me. But, Lord, they're using my... uh, no. uh, I let them do that because if they don't associate me with the voice, they're not going to receive what you say. So I I have to let your voice be connected with me so they'll receive what I say. But the bottom line is we know what kind of earthen vessel you are, you and I. And he said, and I want to keep it that way. As long as you don't take my credit. That's not just true true for the man in the pulpit. Let me tell you something I've learned the hard way over the years. I pastored people that couldn't see anything but the vessel. They couldn't see the treasure. They couldn't receive anything I had to say. They didn't last very long. But just as dangerous... As I dealt with people and pastored people, they couldn't see anything but the treasure. But it was only a matter of time till circumstance would come about where the vessel would show up. And they get all disillusioned and leave. He said, the only people you can truly reach are those that accept that while there is an earthen vessel there, The voice I'm hearing is God speaking through this vessel so that I can be saved. I can't tell you in my personal study and whatever, I can't tell you how critical it is to God what your motive is in whatever you do or say or don't do or don't say. In fact, in all honesty, all things being equal, your motive is far more important than your method. Your motive, from your perspective between you and God, your motive for participating in the mission is more important than the mission in this context. Have I got Bible for that? How about try Galatians 5 and 6? The last part of that verse says, Faith worketh by love. That Greek word there means to cause to be operative or activated. So our faith is motivated by, activated, operated by love. Love is motive. If you love me, keep my commandments. 
He didn't say, if you fear me. Now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. And fear of the Lord is a good starting place. But you're not going to stay saved based on the fear of the Lord. Somewhere in your early walk with God, there's got to be a transition between living for God out of fear and living and, and, and the motive of love. Because fear wanes. Brother Hale told about this. I, I, I lived, I, you know, I remember that 1967 war. And let me tell you what, there were backsliders all over this country. Churches were full of backsliders praying back through because Jesus was about to come because the city of Jerusalem was about to be retaken by the Jews. Guess what? were way too many of them. When the rapture didn't take place within a few hours or a few days or a few weeks after Jerusalem was taken, they went right back to what they were and who they were. 80 and 81, we had two major years of revival and harvest in this church. And the focus of almost all the ministry that year by the evangelists was the coming of the Lord. And let me tell you something. Those people got the Holy Ghost. They got the Holy Ghost. They talked in tongues. They got baptized. But the problem was I didn't understand at the time how to lead people and help people understand how to transition from fear as your motive to love as your motive. Love lasts, fear doesn't. There's absolutely nothing wrong. In fact, it's part, part of evangelistic preaching, and, and Jesus talked eight times more about hell than he did heaven. And there's nothing wrong with a preacher preaching about hell and somebody coming to, to the altar because they don't want to go to hell. And let me tell you something, I don't want to be lost. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to go to hell. Hell is forever and ever and ever and ever. I don't want to be lost. But the bottom line is, there, there came a point, I, I, I didn't understand it at the beginning, but th there came a point where I couldn't continue to be saved and go to heaven and not go to hell if my motive was just about what I didn't want to do and didn't want to happen. I had to start, I, something had to change where there was something I wanted and someone I wanted. There had to be a transition there. That doesn't come easy for men. For most women, they start out with a relationship with God, and that relationship turns into ministry or service. For most men, you got to get them busy with something not too long after they get in the church. It may not be, but would you take over taking care of the yard? It may be, that may be what it is, but they, a man's got to contribute. He's got to do something. He's got to be a part of something. And the more he gets involved, that will transition to relationship. I, I'm, I'm just being honest with you here. Whatever relationship with God I have today, is based on the fact that he gave me a ministry before he, I had a relationship. I was raised in the church. 
my relationship was with the church. It wasn't with Jesus. Not not when you boil it all down. Did I pray? I prayed. I read it. I read the word. Yeah. Yeah. That's what the church said to do. I did that. But the bottom line is, I didn't begin to be understand humble, being humble, Brother Hale, until I had a a mission, till I had a ministry. And failing in that ministry and being ineffective became more and more unacceptable. So out of desperation over failure, I began to look, what's the problem here? And I began to find out the problem is this can't happen unless you give up yourself and establish a true relationship with him. I first came to town, I was 24 years old. My wife was 19. We'd never pastored. I knew how to I knew how to personally win souls. I knew how to pray them through once, once they were ready to be saved. I knew how to do both those things. I didn't know anything about pastoring. I'd been doing those two things a long time, and I had confidence that however I met a person, I, the Lord would, I knew the Lord would use me. I knew he'd give me stuff to say to them. I knew they would, uh, if there was any hunger there at all, they'd want to be saved. And I knew once they made that decision, they wanted to be saved. I knew how to help them through that process. I, I was confident I could do that. I had experience doing it. But the problem was, I didn't know about the rest of that stuff. <laughs> Lord have mercy. I, I was so green. I was too green to know I was green. I didn't know. I didn't know what to do. Didn't know how to do it. So you just have church and invite people to church. That's all we knew to do then. It was the only idea. So we started with two people having four services a week. Lie, lie not. Thursday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Because if we want to have revival, we've got to have and the way you do it is you get people to come to church, you get them, you preach to them, get them prayed through there. And that's all I knew. Then if I want to build a church, the pastor, the only way to build a pastor is have more church services. And we did that. But it didn't, you know, and, and God blessed. But the blessing became the curse. Because the more that happened and the more people that came, the more all of the stuff I didn't know about me, about God, about me and God or God and me, and ministry and how to let him work through me. You see, I'd been raised on the Pentecostal preposition. And I don't mean to be offensive here today, but uh, uh, the Pentecostal preposition is a synonym of pride. I work for God. I live for God. He said, if I needed anything, I wouldn't tell you. But that's how we're raised. And really, that's how we come to God. We come to God as men, and we're going to do something for God here. Yes, sir, we're going to do something for God. But there comes a point where, no matter how hard you try, it all comes to a grinding halt. And somewhere, you got to get out of the Pentecostal preposition mode and stop trying to do it for God and have a relationship with Him so that He can do it through you. The principle of fruitfulness is 
Without me, you can do nothing. Every branch that abideth in me bears fruit. Every branch that doesn't bear fruit doesn't abide me. So here it is. I'm a branch. Fruitfulness begins right here where I'm connected to that vine. That connection or that relationship to the vine as a branch is what determines everything. Because you see, in true ministry, the only way to have real fruit is to have a connection with the vine. And you let all that good stuff that's in the vine flow into and through you. And when you've got a flow because of your right connection to the vine, there's going to be fruit happening out here. And according to Jesus, if I'm working really hard, trying really hard, nothing's happening out here. The first and really the only place to look is over here because there's some problem with the connection. And that's what he said when he said, without me, ye can do nothing. The word without there means separate or apart from where there's any kind of space. Have you ever seen a branch that was that had been snapped, but it was still connected? It was still hanging there. And, and in some situations, I've actually seen a little bit of fruit on a branch like that. But then the weight of the fruit continues the breaking process. And so what little connection there was there with a little bit of flow that did come, the results of that, what connection it was there, actually caused such stress on the branch because this wasn't a healthy relationship that, the, that it went ahead and broke the rest of the way. Well, the problem is, right out here, we're men. We're not comfortable checking this out. We don't understand relationship stuff. No, 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 no. No, this relationship stuff out here, this, how do you achieve something in that? How do you perform a relationship? How do you do that? You don't. That's what humility is. I'll just give you one scriptural application of the principle of humility. First Peter chapter five, verse six, please. Okay. In case you didn't know it, brother Lawson had major back surgery, major back surgery just a short while ago. And that's not one of those electric uh, belts that you you have batteries too that kind of spasms let you work out without having to work. I bought one of those. It didn't work for me. I couldn't fit it all the way around me. So <laughs> I wish I wasn't joking. <laughs> That's not what that is. <laughs> they don't sell extenders for them. It, it, look, I thought to myself, if if I could fit this around me, I wouldn't need it. Humble yourselves. What does 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 say? Don't go there. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Trust me. You want to seek God for him to empower you, to you for you to do the humbling through his empowerment. You don't want him to love you so much that if you're not involved in the humbling, he gets involved with it. 
He loves us that much because he resists the proud. And when it's his child that's proud, his love for that child can't let that child. You know what? So much of our stuff doesn't work because we're doing it for God and he has to be the opposer of it. He can't let you succeed because then you'll believe that's the way to do it. And you'll never come to the end of yourself. So he has to oppose it. So he lets just enough happen to keep from crushing you. But not enough to take the pressure off. But what do we do? Oh, my friend. Our tendency is we are an earthen vessel after all. Our tendency is we, we, we start out trying to find reasons why we're failing and every one of them has to do with something other than me. Well, there's no fruit on me as a branch because, because it's been bad weather or there's a drought or, uh, uh, <laughs> or, right. We don't want to go, okay, well, if I got no fruit, it's because my relationship over here isn't what it ought to be. There's some, there's some gaps in here between me and Jesus. So he says, just like Second Chronicles 7, 14, here it is, New Testament. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You want to know how to apply the seed? The concept is humility. Everything he said is absolutely the truth. But what is biblical humility? Brother Pugh said years ago that humility is not speaking disparagingly about yourself. Humility is just not thinking about yourself at all, good or bad. You're not in the equation. So notice the punctuation. It's a colon. The grammatical rule of a colon is this. That which follows the colon expounds on or explains what preceded the colon. What's preceded the colon? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that you may exalt you in due time. So here's the explanation or the application, if you'd like to put it that way. Next verse, please. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I asked the question yesterday, what's a man? What's a man like? Let me tell you one thing a man's like. There's not a single one of us here that doesn't like to be in control. Every last one of us wants to be in control. And and we there's so much of our life, like Brother Easter preached about, there's so much of our life that's not in our control, we negotiate to have something in our life that we're in control of. And when God begins to talk to you about giving up control, uh, this is, I don't know about you, but this is the way I did. Oh, Lord, okay, Lord. I, yeah, I, okay, okay, I give up, I give up. Yeah, I got, I, I'm going to give you control, but... I really need this hour every day where I can decide what I do during that hour. I really need that. Uh, no. Okay, 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 Lord. I, 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 I understand. Okay, a half hour. 23 hours and 30 minutes, I will let you be in control. I give you control. But I just need this half hour. Uh, okay, okay, Lord, I, 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 I understand. Okay, fifteen minutes. Come on, Lord, be reasonable here. Five minutes. Can I just have five minutes each day? 
that I'm in control? Lord, 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 cut me some slack here. One minute. Uh Uh-uh. That's what casting a care means. It's, It's giving up control. I was talking to a brother, trying to help him through some stuff a couple of months ago, and and he was so distressed. I can't get any direction from God. I can't get direction from God. I, I don't know what's going on. I can't find any peace over this. I prayed, and, and I, I could tell. I knew he'd prayed. He really had prayed. He prayed a lot about this, but he wasn't getting anything. He wasn't, it was, nothing was coming. It just wasn't happening. It wasn't happening for him. Finally, I looked at him and said, let me tell you why you don't have any peace. He said, I'd love to know. I said, I don't really think you'd want to know. Well, let's find out if you want to know. The reason you don't have any peace is you pray about all this stuff. But you're a thinker and you're a fixer and you're a problem solver. And so you spend all this time praying. And when you're done, you take it home with you. You don't cast it. You don't release it. You don't give up control over it. You don't get neutral so God can tell you whatever it is he's wanting to say. And you know what my experience is? If God's not talking to me about something, it's because he's got something to say I'm not going to like. And, I, and and he's not going to tell me that till I get neutral enough to hear it. He tells me not to cast my pearl before swine. Well, he's not going to cast his pearl before swine spirit. Not trying to be harsh here. Oh, we got a thousand excuses. The most fundamental skill that God expects every Holy Ghost filled child of God to have is the ability to hear His voice. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Rhema of God, the Word of God. Not not the Logos of God, the Rhema of God. I can't have faith if I can't hear the voice of God. So if that if he expects that as the fundamental skill just to be able to have faith, then it's his idea, his desire for me to be able to hear his voice. If I'm struggling with hearing the voice of God, it's not God that's got the problem. It's not God that's got the problem. I've got the problem. It's like the... Guy that was praying, which of these two girls he was supposed to marry? I never can think of names to use that don't fit somebody, so whatever. I'll pick them out of the clear blue here. (laughs) Uh, Oh, God, my mind is blanked. No, they're female names. Thank you. Jackie and Jill. Okay? Oh, Lord, who am I supposed to marry? Jackie and Jill, but please let it be Jill. Well, I mean, that's a, that may be a silly little illustration, but it, unfortunately, it's the way we live. What we pray about, we want to know what he wants as long as what he wants is really in agreement with what we want. Ask Hezekiah the danger of convincing God to do something that's not his will. 
And you hear me. His word is his word. And you can press him based on what he said long enough. He will do what you're asking him to do, even though it's not his perfect will. Brother J.J. Bourne has preached for us a couple of times in these meetings. His dad is a powerful, was a powerful prophet of God who's telling his story. His brother at the time was 26 years old, had two children. It was a pastor. And his dad was seeking God for his, to heal his son. Seeking God. And he's, and the story is that the Lord spoke to the elder born and said, I will heal your son because you asked me, but you will live to regret it. And he immediately said, forgive me, Lord. Forgive me. I want your will. I release my son to you. And within five minutes, he was dead. Oh, let me tell you about faith. Faith's not weak. Faith works. Sometimes it works even when you don't want it to work. Because there are prayers we pray that we don't add, nevertheless, not as I will, but that as I will. That's giving up control. You understand that? You're giving up control. That's what it means to be humble. You're giving up control. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. What is the pride of life? It's our self-sufficiency. We want to govern ourselves. The Greek word translated spirituality has two parts to it. According to vines and other uh, thayers also, I believe it is. It says that to be spiritual, you have to be filled with the Spirit and governed by the Spirit. It is possible to be full of the Holy Ghost and talk in tongues and be carnal because you're in charge. You're not giving yourself up to the governing of the Holy Ghost. Now, it's time to quit, so I'm going to. But I want you to hear me right now. What God is going to do in the earth between now and the rapture is of such proportions that he is far more interested in producing in you the character to be used in it than he is the comfort that you will have to sacrifice to see that character develop. The sinless son of God. It was said of the sinless son of God. Though he were a son. Yet learned he obedience. Through the things which he suffered. You want, it, you want another real indicator of whether you're prideful or humble? Just keep a little prayer journal. The stuff you ask God for. When you're through with prayer. Look at your request and, and ask yourself this question. If God answered this prayer, would the answer affect eternity or time? Because it's my experience that most apostolics that pray spend their time praying for God to fix stuff that only affect time. Take my problems away, take my pain away, take my pressure away. Well, you're really telling him, Lord, I'm your your child. You're my father. These things are in my life. They can only be there if you allowed them because of what you're trying to teach me. But I don't want them. 
And even though they came from you, I want you to take them away. I want you to fix them. You tell me whether that's spiritual or carnal. You can pray three hours a day, and that be the, your, the what characterizes your prayer life? He said, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, he would send forth labors in the harvest. That's an eternal prayer. Sanctify thy name in the earth. That's an eternal prayer. Thy kingdom come. That's an eternal prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's an eternal prayer. Using the keys of the kingdom and binding and loosing. That's an eternal prayer. Pride wants things comfortable. No pain, no problem, no pressure. Because pride wants to be in control. Humility, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. So whatever is going on in my life is the hand of God. And the Greek word translated patience is hupomene. It comes from two root words that means to stay under. From the first day, I walked on the grounds of the Naval Academy as a fresh plebe. You are required to know the number of days to graduation. On any given day, you better be able to tell any first-classman, senior, how many days he had left before he graduated. If it's in the beginning of the year, you had to know how many days to Thanksgiving, how many days to Christmas leave, how many days to spring break, and how many days to graduation every day. You had to know that every day. And you counted that down and counted that down and you counted that down. You counted it down. Because that was your whole focus. I just got to get out of here. One of our favorite sayings we said among ourselves, it's better to be from the academy than at the academy. Yeah. Why? Nobody liked that stuff they did to you. And it never let up. It was 24-7. It never let up. It never let up. You lived under that pressure and it was, wasn't just one kind of pressure. It came at you from every academics, the military, the, the, the peer pressure. You, I mean, you, it was all there all the time. You wanted out of that. You wanted out of that. But they considered that a crucible. And they wanted the flawed stuff to come to the surface because of the pressure. Because they were going to, they hire everybody that graduates, you see. And they're going to put those people in multi-million dollar aircraft or they're going to be working on multi-billion dollar ships and they're going to have tens and hundreds and sometimes thousands of men under them. And if they can't handle pressure, you need to find that out quickly. The Lord uses that same principle. Though he were a son, yet learned he's sinless now. He's sinless but he has flesh. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience through the things which he suffered. 
He may choose for me to suffer something different than you suffer. Every one of us here has got just a little bit of different fire we are in and have gone through. And it's the Father's choice because he knows me. He knows how he created me. He knows you. He knows how he created you. And he knows just the right fire to put you in, to purify you, to bring you what you're supposed to be. And I'm wanting to be a part of him, his kingdom, his purpose, his plan. And I'm going to pray my way out of that. No, what I need to do is to pray that I submit to it sooner than later. Because the problem is, in the midst of that struggle, the struggle's with me. It's not with God. The struggle's right here. I, I, I've tried just to share some practical stuff. <laughs> These few little things I've shared with you today. Took me a lifetime to learn. Has learned them the hard way. But these are seeds in your life. And you can let the seed go unnourished, unwatered, and it won't grow. Or you can take these little seeds. You can pray over them and water them and you can go to the word and study them. And, and, and one day, all of a sudden, a light will come on in your heart and spirit. When it does... It won't be what Brother Wright said. That'll be between you and Jesus, and then it'll be yours. And at that point, whatever happens because of the fruit of that seed will be to the praise of his glory only. The third commandment. <laughs> First commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is according to C.M. Wright. The second commandment is love your neighbors yourself. Third commandment, no flesh shall glory in his presence. That's the third commandment. And you hear me right now? To save you, he's got to do whatever's necessary in your life, through your life, to your life, to be able to bring you to the place where he can do anything he wants to through you and you'll never take the credit for it. And when we get to that place, and the church will get to that place before the rapture, and when that happens, when his training period was over, he locked that carpenter shop for the last time. He walked out of there. And if you want to know how anonymous he was during his training, the people of Nazareth just could not accept he was the Messiah because all they could see was the carpenter. He never gave any hints all the way through this from the age of 12 to 30. He never gave one indicator to anybody he lived around that he was the Messiah in training. All they saw was a carpenter. But there was a day he went from the anonymity of being a carpenter to being a Messiah. Because the training was over, and it's now time to go to work. And you hear me, what I'm telling you right now in the Holy Ghost. <laughs> You're not the harvest. You're the potential laborers for the harvest. 
And not everybody's going to prove that they're worthy to be a laborer in the harvest. But for those that are willing to submit and God work in their lives and bring them to a place they ought to be, there's coming a day, just like when Jesus came out of that carpenter shop, that manifestation of the sons of God in Romans 8, that's not talking about the rapture. The Lord manifested the Son of God at the end of the Old Testament, in the last days of the Old Testament, because of the judgment that was coming upon Israel. They were going to be the children of God up to one day, and at 6 o'clock in the morning on the day of Pentecost, the people that were the children of God were no longer the children of God if they didn't receive what was poured out that day. You talk about judgment, all of your heritage, all of your history, all of your teaching, you're a child of God. But on that day when the covenants changed, all those people that had been children of God, that's why when he said, I'm, I, I'm only come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, they weren't lost then. They were going to be lost. On the day of Pentecost, they went from being saved to lost if they didn't come into the New Testament. You talk about judgment, judgment. So the Son of God was manifest in the last days of the Old Testament because of the judgment that was coming upon Israel on the day of Pentecost. What was, what was a blessing to us and the birthday of the church at the beginning of all this for the, for those Jews that were blinded to the Messiah and the New Testament, the New Covenant that was coming? It was a judgment day. They went from being children of God to being lost. And it's a very simple study in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, to find out that after the rapture in those seven years, one out of every two human beings alive and left on the earth after the rapture will die in the judgment that's to come. 300,000 people in, in, in one battle? There's currently about 7, million people in the, 7 billion people in the world. And say the Lord has his 20%. 10% the early rain is doubled up in the latter rain. I don't have time to explain all that, but I've got book for that. So we're looking at 20% of the earth at the minimum once the sons of God are manifested. And excuse me, but all those people that get the Holy Ghost and believe in the Trinitarian doctrine, they're not counting in that because the promise was made to Abraham and Abraham believed in one God and that was the big deal. And people that, don't, that get the Holy Ghost but don't come into one God, they're not a part of that number. So let's just for numbers sake, take uh, 1.5 billion out of that. That leaves us 5.5 billion people that will miss the rapture. 2.75 billion people are going to die in a seven-year period. 2.75 billion people. Now, our God, who's a God of love, Kindness, mercy. What is he going to do in the last days to give those people an opportunity to be saved? He's a merciful God. He showed mercy to Israel by manifesting miracle after miracle, even though they rejected him. He did everything he could in those last days of the old covenant to, 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 to open the eyes of the blind. That was the ministry of the Messiah, the Son of God in the Old Testament. At the end of the Old Testament, was he opened the eyes of the blind. And Paul said those that didn't get it, the reason was because they were blind and they never got their eyes open. 
Well, we live in a world today, blindness is a way of life. What in the world is God going to do through his people? You know, we, we, there's, 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 there's some guys we know, if we really want to see the gifts of the Spirit manifested, you can bring so-and-so in and, and, and he'll be used to God. Do you know how hard it is for that fellow to be saved? That's never the plan of God. Gifts of spirit are given to the body, not to a special few. So what happens in the last days where when what those guys do is going to look like kindergarten compared to what God does to the average child of God and manifested himself in the earth. And as a, as a result of what happens, Jesus prophesied, you'll be hated of all men for my namesake. Every single person in the world is going to have to make a decision. Because our God is merciful. And two point, I'm just using this as a figure for illustration purposes. Only God knows the number. 2.75 billion people. That's approximately 10 times as many people as live in the United States. Approximately. We're all going to die in the tribulation. What kind of God would take that many people's lives as judgment, as wrath? The Lamb opening seals, the wrath of the Lamb. What kind of God would do that without giving this world a chance? Not our God. Not going to happen. That's why what the man of God preached the first night to you. If your whole thing of all of this is just learn to have, how to have good church, that ain't going to work when this happens. John Wesley preached an average of five times a day in his life, in his ministry. Father, we love you. We don't love you like we need to love you. We don't love you like we want to love you. And then by faith, we don't love you like we're going to love you because of your grace working in our lives. But we, I commit the seed that's been sown in these lives Thursday night, yesterday, last night, today. Lord Jesus, these are your words. This is your seed. I commit these seeds into these lives. I pray, Father, that these seeds find good ground. That with the, the rain of your blessings and the sunlight of your revelation shining upon these seeds would cause them to germinate and to grow up and produce fruit for your kingdom's sake. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Somebody needs to obey God. Don't look around and see what somebody else is doing. What do you feel to do right now other than go get something to eat? What do you feel right now? Come on. Why don't you obey God? Why don't you respond to what the Holy Ghost is doing in your heart? 
whether it's sit there or kneel down or stand up or walk around or lay down or whatever, why don't you just respond to whatever the Holy Ghost is telling you to do? This is between you and Jesus. If you're sitting there, that's fine. It's fine. Sit there and you don't even have to make any noise out loud. There's still a heart thing going on between you and Jesus. That's fine. But something needs to happen between me and Jesus today. The sad thing is, there's people, gifted people, sitting in this room right now that are going to be on the sidelines at the best unless something changes in your life real soon. And all that God has done in your life and through your life is not going to mean anything if you don't make it out of this and into what he's called you to. Come on, there's some attitudes that need to be dealt with here today. There's somebody sitting here who's angry with God over stuff he didn't do or that he allowed. I don't think you can get too close to a God you're angry at. How are you going to be learn to be obedient to a God that you're angry with? Come on, whatever your burdens are, cast them on him. That's what you do to get rid of the burdens. You don't, you don't carry the pressure of them. You let God enable you to give up control of them. You give them to him. You don't get out from underneath the problem. You get out from underneath the pressure of trying to control and fix the problem. You cast it on him. You cast it on him. Release it. Let it go. The Greek word there is balo, from which we get the word ball. What do you do with a ball? You throw it. When you throw a ball, you give up control of it. When it releases your hand, it moves away from you. You can't get it back without moving your body to go purposely choose to pick it up again. Come on, we need to stop praying about stuff that we pick back up when the prayer is over with and take home with us. That's why we're so discouraged with prayer. That kind of prayer never works. And I'm not saying that you won't have to cast it again and cast it again and cast it again. But every time it tries to come back, every time your mind as a man begins to try to figure it out and fix it and solve it and and and, and come up with a solution and an answer, every time all those cogitations going on in your brain trying to fix the problem, when that tries to come to you, give it up. Because every bit of effort you make to to try to fix it and solve it is you not casting control of it. Come on, the Holy Ghost is doing something not in our in this place today. He's doing it in our hearts. He's not manifesting himself in this place right now. He's manifesting himself in your heart. Right there in your heart. Come on. Anybody here with no no handicap at all? Anybody here with no limitations in your life at all? Anybody here with no infirmities, no weaknesses in your life at all? The only way that could be the case is if you're already dead. But if you're breathing, you're an earthen vessel and you're not perfect and you need to make peace with that. And let God be God and you quit trying to be God. Let him be in control. Humble yourselves. Under the mighty hand of God. Come on. The Lord's trying to help us right now. Come on. In the name of Jesus. 
in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. 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 In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I put an angelic hedge over the word that's been put in your hearts over these last three days. I put an angelic hedge around this seed. In Jesus' name, I bind the adversary from being able to steal this seed out of your heart. Whether it germinates today, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, five years from now, that's between you and Jesus. But in Jesus' name, I bind the adversary from being able to steal this word out of your heart before it germinates and, and grows and matures to produce fruit in your life for the, for the glory of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on. Let the Lord cover your life. But cover your life with Him. With His righteousness, with His goodness, with His purity. And act like Him. Come on, he gave you that ability to act like what you put on. So put on Christ. Put on Christ. If you have Christ put on you, it's not hypocrisy, it's not a lie, it's not deceitful to act like Christ. Even while the earthen vessel is still an earthen vessel. Because if I can act like Christ while my earthen vessel is still very much an earthen vessel, there's only one that gets credit for whatever that happens through me. The fruit on the end of my branch is solely a product of the vine and what the vine does through me because of my connection to the vine. Come on, just another moment or two. Could we, could we, don't, don't let your mind wander. I know I'm not expecting you to stay here all day. I'm not even expecting you to stay here another 15 minutes unless the Holy Ghost does something. That'll be him, not me. But could you just stay focused another moment or two here? Don't let your, your flesh rush you out of here before this seed truly finds a lodging place. It's the seed that stays on the surface of your life that the birds of the air can come and eat and take away. But if you let that seed find a lodging place in your heart, there's no way for the birds to eat it. My, 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 my. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on. Somebody's connecting. Somebody's connecting. Somebody's repairing a connection. Somebody, somebody is, is, is letting the Holy Ghost fix your connection with the vine. Come on. Come on. Come on. Let the Lord help you. Somebody right now. It's good to face yourself. But when you look at yourself, that's not a reason to give up. It's a reason to trust him, to release control to him. When you get that good look at yourself and you don't like what you see, the Lord doesn't show that to you so you'll quit, so you 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 have no hope, no faith. He lets you see that so that you will quit trying to do it and let him do it through you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. If you want to judge where you are and who you are in God by looking around at the carpenter shop, you're never going to make it to the Jordan and what's going to follow the Jordan River. Come on. You gotta make peace with yourself. And you gotta make peace with a carpenter shop. If you ever expect, if you ever expect to make it to the Jordan River. Jesus name.